Welcome to episode 121, The Truth About October 2020. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as the Tenth Amendment, court packing, the Biden crime family, Brianna Taylor or Ruth Bader Ginsburg comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, and ThinkSpot. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information on that. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. The month started out with a bang as a COVID outbreak hit the White House. As reported by the dutiful Alphabet Soup Media, it was supposedly associated with a super spreader event, that being Trump's press briefing about the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Because, of course, everything that Trump does is bad. In the end, some 27 people tested positive, including First Lady Melania. President Trump was hospitalized for a couple days and emerged victorious, claiming he was cured. That drove the media crazy. The extradition trial of Julian Assange that started in September and ran for most of the month of October finally ended. The railroading of this patriotic, brave whistleblower continues. The judge's verdict is to come in January. The media remains largely silent because they are cowards, knowing that they could be next if they go up against the United States government. None of our elected officials make any reasonable effort to help Assange either. It's really pathetic. Remember that St. Louis couple who very awkwardly took up arms against protesters outside their home a couple months back? Well, a grand jury indicted them, charging them with unlawful use of a weapon and tampering with evidence. Makes perfect sense given the fact that an angry BLM mob had broken down the gate leading into their gated community on a private road and shouted death threats at the couple. Yet another example of the dual justice system administered by Democrats. This time not in D.C., but in St. Louis. Then there was the release of declassified documents from the Russia hoax impeachment steel dossier episode. The implication for the documents was that the whole scenario was cooked up by the Hillary campaign, but no real firm conclusions were drawn. As I posted on Facebook, I wrote, if you get your news from Alphabet Soup sources, you are probably unaware of the recent declassified documents from the Director of National Intelligence, or you are seeing words such as unverified and dubious used to describe the information. Do yourself a favor and conduct a search on the John Ratcliffe, R-A-T-C-L-I-F-F-E, then do one on Devin Nunes, Russia. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Kamala Harris and Mike Pence met for their one and only VP debate, just so you know my biases up front, I deplore Kamala Harris. Listen to episode 111 to understand why. However, my personal feelings do not impact my analysis of the debate performance. Kamala refused to answer questions about her coronavirus policies, abortion, court packing, and foreign policy. Pence was a skilled verbal knife fighter. He cut her so many times verbally, sometimes so swiftly, that she didn't even know she was cut. By the end of the night, she was bleeding out. No one talks as much as she does and says so little. 
She literally came prepared with four or five soliloquies that she repeated whenever she had nothing else to say. Even the moderator at one point cut her off and said, You already said that. This woman, Kamala, is filled with faux sincerity and faux outrage. Oh, and if you want to know who the Chinese favor in the election, consider this. Whenever Pence started talking about China during the debate, Chinese television took the live feed down, only to return when Pence finished speaking. You can't make this shit up. To further prove my point about how badly Kamala did, consider this Facebook post. How do you know if you lost a debate? Your defenders spend all their time talking about mansplaining rather than comparing the words that came out of your mouth to those of your debate partner. That's all the media had. Why did Pence feel compelled to mansplain to Kamala? It's so pathetic. I don't remember these same pundits complain about Joe Biden mansplaining to Sarah Palin, do you? The FBI foiled a militia plot to kidnap Democrat Governor of Michigan Gretchen Lockdown Whitmer. The mainstream media and national Democrats blame Trump, of course, because everything that goes wrong in America is his fault. I saw this question posed on social media. If Trump is responsible for the Michigan malicious plot to kidnap the governor, then the entire Democratic Party and the mainstream media is responsible for the excesses of BLM, the rioting, looting, and arson. And Bernie Sanders is responsible for the congressional baseball shooting. And Obama is responsible for the five dead police officers in Dallas in 2006, as well as the Milwaukee riots in 2016. As I mentioned a second ago, President Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court to fill the vacancy left after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. During the committee hearing, the Democrats complained for two full days about her appointment to the court and how it would end Obamacare. They had nothing on her. When they did challenge her, she ripped them apart. At one point, one senator asked her to see what was written on the notepad in front of her. She showed him it was blank, proving that if you are principle-driven like Barrett, an originalist who claims she will call balls and strikes and determine the constitutionality of a law with no political agenda, you don't need notes. You just speak from the heart. The childish Democrat committee members boycotted the vote out of committee. The full Senate confirmed her nomination. This whole scene leads me to wonder, why don't the National Democrats just come out and say it out loud? If Amy Coney Barrett faithfully interprets the law, we will not be able to get what we want. And it led me to reflect, why do Democrats not only oppose, but attempt to destroy most GOP Supreme Court nominees? Could it be because the Democrats want the judicial branch of the federal government to behave like a super legislative body, not an interpretive one? That they want the court to, by decree, implement the Democrats' unpopular radical agenda? In other words, get stuff done that they cannot get done legislatively. Or maybe it's because most of the GOP nominees respect and revere the Constitution. Based on their behavior, the Democrats see the Constitution as an obstacle to their continued power grab. Actor James Woods posted this on Twitter. While the Democrats are howling at the sky somewhere, bedecked by Halloween Handmaid's Tale outfits, the real party of diversity is watching a woman Supreme Court justice being sworn in by a black Supreme Court justice. The Republican Party is the party of all Americans. And of course he was referring to Justice Clarence Thomas. I couldn't help but observe that there were no celebration by leading women's rights groups, like the National Organization for Women, over the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, who just so happens to be a woman. 
Come to find out, these organizations don't represent all women, just those that think like them. Speaking of women and the intolerance of the so-called tolerant and inclusive left wing in our country, did you hear about this? The Girl Scouts of America issued a congratulatory message to Barrett and got excoriated on social media. How dare they congratulate a woman for ascending to the highest court in the land, demonstrating that girls can accomplish anything in America. If a woman is conservative, she's not part of the club. With the confirmation of Barrett, the Democrats have threatened to pack the Supreme Court with additional liberal justices who will not consider the constitutionality of the case presented to them, but will offer opinions in line with the Democrats' agenda. In the previous episode, episode 120, The Truth About Court Packing, I explained what court packing is. I gave you the actual definition, not the one the Democrats have changed. They want us to believe that court packing is anything the Republicans do that they don't like. In the episode, I discussed the history of court packing and explained how this threat fits into the National Democrats' broader strategy of one-party rule. Check out that episode if you're interested. At one point during the month, Biden said that people do not deserve to know if he will pursue a court-packing agenda, prompting me to make the following observation about the Barrett hearings. Amy Coney Barrett should tell the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee that they will have to wait until she is confirmed to find out what her judicial philosophy is. How could they argue with that logic? Then I argued that Trump and the Congressional Republicans should pack the Supreme Court before the Democrats do it after a Biden win. Pack it with originalists and textualists. Pack it with judges who know the court issues opinions, not rulings, not decisions, not legislation. Pack it with judges who do not legislate from the bench. After all, what are the Democrats going to say in opposition? That's not fair. We were going to do that next year. The Los Angeles Lakers won the NBA Finals, and guess what? No one cared because no one watched the series because the NBA has been shoving social justice messages down its fans' throats since the league reopened its season. Ratings for the Laker Heat series was down between 38 and 68% from last year's series, depending on which game it was. I think game one was down like 38% and game five, an elimination game for the Heat, was down 68%. The NBA commissioner has already announced that they will not employ the social justice messaging next season. Right. Of course not, because the election will have already occurred. See how this shit works? Turns out Americans watch sports to be entertained, not preached to about social causes that they may or may not agree with. Turns out, if you go woke, you go broke. NBA revenue was down somewhere in the neighborhood of 40% year over year. Obviously, a lot of that has to do with not getting gate and concession revenue, but the social justice messaging obviously killed their TV ratings. When it came to the presidential race, Biden pretty much was holed up in his basement while Trump held large rallies at airports around the country. Biden put a lid on his campaign schedule several times throughout the month, which basically means no appearances, no interviews. How do you win an election when you make very rare yet gaffe-filled appearances? Here are a few examples of Biden's gaffes. At one point, a study came out demonstrating that 56% of Americans say they're better off today than they were four years ago. A reporter asked Biden, quote, So why should people who feel that they are better off today under the Trump administration vote for you? Joe said, quote, well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. Later in the month, he said, we have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Then he said, 
The reason I was able to stay home during the pandemic is because black women were able to keep the grocery shelves stocked. What does that even mean? Then he made a couple of speeches where he literally slurred his words. Like, he was saying three or four words in one syllable. As I mentioned, Trump held rallies with thousands of people while Biden drew dozens. Hell, Kamala Harris went to Asheville, North Carolina, the most liberal city in North Carolina, and six people showed up. Six. Go look it up if you don't believe me. Besides being elder abuse on the part of the National Democrats by throwing Biden out there, their campaign strategy was obviously to run out the clock. The plan has always been to install Kamala, who would become the least vetted person ever to become president. Who knows who is pulling the strings, but they know they could run a rock with a D next to his name and get 60 million votes. They must have thought all along that they can manufacture enough votes in certain battleground states to overcome vote deficits on election day. Check out episode 104, The Truth About Vote by Mail, if you want to hear more about that. I characterize the National Democrats' plan as a plan to arrive at one-party rule with the party being them. Why don't the Democrats just say it out loud? We can't win the game with the current rules, whether that be by tradition or by the Constitution. Therefore, we will change the rules of the game in order to ensure our victory. What do those rules include? Well, they've talked about abolishing the Electoral College. They've got vote-by-mail voter fraud schemes devised, as I mentioned. They want to pack the Supreme Court with liberal justices. They want to end the Senate filibuster. They want open borders. They want to grant illegal immigrants amnesty, welfare, and voting rights. And they've implemented a dual justice system, one for corrupt Democrats and one for everybody else. Upon further reflection, I figured out the real reason why the National Democrats hate Trump. It's because they have been conditioned to deal with milk-toast, pansy Republicans like Dole, Kemp, Boehner, Romney, Ryan, Bush, McCain, and McConnell. Then along comes a bull in the china shop who figuratively punches them in the face, calls them fake liars, and commands the media's attention 24-7, something no Republican has ever done. Media Research Center and Gallup came out with some interesting statistics this month about Trump. MRC published a report demonstrating that 91% of news coverage of Trump on major broadcast networks was negative. And despite that, 56% of Americans say they're better off than they were four years ago. I mentioned that stat a few minutes ago. The second presidential debate was scheduled during the month, but it didn't happen. The commission that heads up the presidential debates wanted to do it virtually because Trump was recovering from COVID. He said, no thanks. We're going to do it in person or we're not doing it at all. Instead, each candidate held town halls. Biden on ABC, Trump on NBC. The only real thing of note from either town hall was the fact that George Stephanopoulos did not ask Biden one question about the biggest story of the month. That being what I discussed in episode 118, the truth about the Biden crime family, as revealed on an old laptop of Hunter Biden's, which contained not only evidence of the Biden's corruption, but some disturbing videos of sex and drug use by Hunter. Basically, not only is Joe a liar, but a corrupt influence peddler for hire mob boss. He's been at it for 40 years, using his son Hunter as the bagman. It's quite a remarkable story. During the third debate, which we will discuss in a second, Joe said, quote, I have never taken a penny from a foreign source in my life, end quote. To which I would say, well, no shit, Joe. That's why you had your brother and your son involved in the scheme. They collected the money and distributed your cut. 
In addition to exposing Biden's corruption and his general lack of fitness for office, these stories provide us with more evidence of the media's double standard, the general lack of principles in the Democratic Party, and the existence of a dual justice system whereby Republicans get canceled, investigated, indicted, arrested, and impeached for not committing a crime, while Democrats who actually break the law walk away scot-free. Demonstrating the media's double standard, Facebook and Twitter were quick to block the New York Post story about Hunter's laptop from being shared on their platform. Twitter killed the Post's account altogether, only to reopen it after two weeks. When asked by a Republican strategist if CNN is going to investigate the veracity of the Hunter Biden emails, Christian Amanpour, a CNN anchor, said, quote, We're not going to do your work for you, end quote. Think about that statement for a second. A major news organization does not see its job as getting to the truth of a story about a man running as a Democrat for president and telling the story to the American people. Both NPR and USA Today also refused to cover the Hunter and Joe Biden influence peddling scandal. Glenn Greenwald's The Intercept, a news outlet that he founded, refused to run a piece he wrote because it was critical of Biden. Greenwald subsequently resigned. Consider this. The mainstream media and the National Democrats spent two and a half years claiming that Trump was a Russian asset, that he colluded with Russia, with no verified evidence. In fact, they were using false information in the Steele dossier. Now we have verified evidence of Joe Biden's decades of corruption and influence peddling, and they purposely ignore it. Who's surprised, anyways? They did the same thing with Hillary Clinton's corruption and federal crimes, the Clinton Foundation, and her illegal email server. Then the CEOs of Facebook, Twitter, and Google were hauled before the Senate Commerce Committee to discuss their practice of selected censorship. Never anyone associated with the Democratic Party, and it's always Republicans and conservatives, and it's always stories and documentaries like Plandemic, or most recently there's a documentary about Antifa. Anything that's critical of the current orthodoxy or documents corruption of Democrats, all those things get blocked. The hearing was titled... Does Section 230's sweeping immunity enable big tech bad behavior? This refers to a section of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which provides legal protection to social media platforms for online speech. Essentially, it makes them immune to libel and slander suits if people go on Facebook and Twitter or YouTube and start talking shit about other people. However, that protection only exists if they are just a platform that does no censoring of its content. Once they start, they lose that protection. Twitter's Jack Dorsey appeared to unintentionally acknowledge that Twitter's unofficial moderating system is based simply on who shows the most outrage. In response to a question from Senator Rick Scott, Dorsey replied, quote, We don't have a general policy about misleading information and misinformation. We rely on people calling that speech out, end quote. Senator Ted Cruz had the line of the hearing when he asked Dorsey, who the hell elected you and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? Rapper 50 Cent said he couldn't vote for Biden because of his tax policies. He said he prefers not to be 20 Cent. Hip-hop artist Lil Wayne met with the president and tweeted, Just had a great meeting with Donald Trump. Besides what he's done so far with criminal reform, the Platinum Plan is going to give the community real ownership. He listened to what we had to say today and assured he will and can get it done. By the way, the Platinum Plan he's referring to is a mixture of economic education and financial investments in black communities. Two weeks before the election, Obama showed his face for the first time and stumped for Biden. A couple of observations. Number one, 
Obama did not endorse Biden during the primaries. Don't forget that. Number two, Obama's track record of stumping for people is pretty bad. His speech was typical Obama, throwing unsubstantiated daggers at Trump, accusing him of stuff that he himself is guilty of, like racial divisiveness and arrogance. One news outlet documented 19 lies Obama said about Trump during his speech. China was awarded a seat on the United Nations Human Rights Council several months after being caught rounding up Muslims and putting them on trains. Remember when Cuba and North Korea were also on this council? When can we stop contributing to this corrupt organization? When can we revoke their lease on the UN building in New York City? Let them set up shop in some other country. We were treated to the second, supposed to be the third, presidential debate. Microphones were supposed to be muted while the other person spoke for their allotted two minutes to avoid Trump from interrupting Joe like he did in the first debate. The moderator did a pretty good job of allowing each man 10 seconds to respond to accusations before trying to move on to the next question. One obscure observation I had about the debate was, since foreign policy was removed as a topic from the debate in order to protect the Obama-Biden failures in that arena, everything else they discussed was unconstitutional. In other words, the United States Constitution does not enumerate powers for such things as pandemic response, or immigration, or printing money, or health care, fiscal stimulus, energy policy, or the environment. The Tenth Amendment makes it clear that all these things are left to the people of the states. As was the case with the first debate and the VP debate, both Biden and Harris lie. They lie a lot. During this particular debate, Joe lied by saying no one lost their insurance under Obamacare. Now, remember folks, this line was dubbed the lie of the year in 2013 by PolitiFact, a left-wing fact-checking outfit. And yet, old daughter and Joe still spits out that lie. Then he said, I did not oppose Trump's China travel ban in regards to coronavirus. Yet, here's Joe's tweet from February 1st and March 18th. Quote, We are in the midst of a crisis with the coronavirus. We need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, and fear-mongering. He is the worst possible person to lead our country through a global health emergency. That was February 1st. Then on March 18th, he said, Stop the xenophobic fear-mongering. Be honest. Take responsibility. Do your job. Then he said, There is no evidence that when you raise minimum wage, businesses have gone out of business. That is simply not true. End quote. I will just refer you to episode 4, The Truth About Minimum Wage, for you to learn what a liar and or economic ignoramus Joe is by making that statement. Near the end of the debate, there was a pregnant pause after an exchange between the two men where, where the president used his favorite line again, where he said, Joe, you were in D.C. for almost 50 years. Why didn't you do something in all that time? After that strangely long pause, Joe responded meekly, We, we had a Republican Senate. Trump leaned forward towards his mic and almost whispered, You have to work with the other side, Joe. I did it with criminal justice reform. Joe flat out lied about fracking, too. He challenged Trump to produce video of him denouncing fracking. He defied Trump to, quote, put it on your website, which his team promptly did before the debate was even over. They published a montage of Biden saying at least half a dozen times that he will eliminate fracking. Trump famously looked at the camera and said, are you listening, Pennsylvania, Texas, Oklahoma? As the month came to an end, a record third quarter GDP number was released. It was up 33% which is quite remarkable. The previous record high was 20%. In 
And as for the markets, the S&P was down just under 3%. The Dow was down just under 5%. Gold was down 1%. And silver was up just over 1%. And that is the truth about October 2020. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.